Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, we're talking about love today, which is a very appropriate theme for Valentine's Day, don't you think? We're also finishing up our series today um, called Wake Up. And together over the last six or so weeks, we've been looking at the 10 stops along the journey towards spiritual maturity. Now, another word for spiritual maturity is sanctification. And sanctification is that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit inside of us that, that transforms us so that our life grows more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ our Lord. For those of us in the Methodist family, we often talk about sanctification in terms of being perfected in love. Well, last week we talked about um, the sanctifying uh, process um, in stop nine, where we learn to delight in God's love. And today we're at the final stop, which we call devotion to others or love of neighbor. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about this in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. He writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so the first thing we notice, the first thing that Paul reminds us in this passage is that we are loved. In fact, he says we are dearly loved. We are holy. And we're holy not because of anything that we've done. We're holy because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that he gave his son on the cross so that by Jesus' sacrifice, when we place our faith in him, when we believe in him, we are justified by his grace. We're made holy. We're made righteous, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus' love, God's love for us, changes us so that our heart, which is naturally inclined towards selfishness and sin, in, instead is gradually turned outward instead of inward. Outward towards God and towards our neighbor. You know, when you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you often read stories about God talking to people, really talking to people. Think about the burning bush and how God spoke to Moses through that bush. Or how God would speak to the prophets and then the prophets would speak to us for God. 
or in dreams like Peter's vision about food that was now okay to eat, that it was clean, or how God spoke to Paul in a flash of light and in an audible voice on that road to Damascus. I don't know about you, but I've often thought that it would be really super nice if especially when I'm facing big decisions that I'm trying to make, if God would just answer my questions um, that I ask in prayer in some absolutely undeniable way that I would know. I've often thought it would be great if one of those giant yellow signs, you know, the kind with the arrow and the flashing lights, would just appear on my front lawn, and God would use those big black letters to just tell me the answer to the prayer that I wanted um, answered. Or if maybe God would use a skywriter, you know, like surrender Dorothy in giant letters, only it would be the answer to my prayer. I, th I think that would be really great. I've had a couple of times in my life where um, I've known that God has been speaking to me, but more often than not, it's not an undeniable voice. It's a nudge. It's a hunch. It's someone else's voice, and it's a little harder to tell. And so how do we know when God is speaking? How do we know what God's will for us is, for our lives and for the lives of people around us? I don't know, have you ever asked that question? How do you know? I know I have asked that question. Does God still speak today? And if he does, how does he do it? Well, think about it. When we want to share with other people what's on our mind, we use words, don't we? I mean, that's the most natural thing to do. It's through our words that we can express what's on our mind. And our minds are created so that we um, want to express what's on it, the activity, the, the thinking, the reflecting that we're doing. Every mind is created that way to, to think and reflect and be active and creative, and we need to express that. So if God ever decided to speak his mind, what would he say? And how would he go about saying it? I mean, would, would God speak his mind by inscribing his words on a big stone tablet? He's done that before, hasn't he? Would God speak his mind by writing it down in one, book, one big book that contains 66 smaller books? He's done that before. Would he speak through prophets and priests? I mean, if God had something that he really wanted to say to you, how would he choose to say it? And how could God communicate in a way that you could really understand? Has God ever said what's on his mind? Well, for the last 2,000 years, God has expressed himself most clearly in Jesus Christ. And when we observe the life of Jesus, and when we look at the example that he set for us to follow, it is then that we can most clearly see God's word. And one of the things that Jesus taught and modeled so very clearly was love. In John chapter 13, Jesus sat with his disciples for the Last Supper, and he told them, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So not only is love the very first commandment, not only is it something that God highly values, it is actually what distinguishes us 
as the people of God, as followers of God. And not only that, but it was love that brought Jesus from heaven to earth in the first place, that caused Jesus to lay aside his divinity and take on human form. John 3.16 makes that very clear. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But just what is love? What is love? I mean, we use that word a lot to describe a lot of different things, don't we? I mean, I love my wife and I love my family. I also love to go running. And I love chocolate. By the way, it's Valentine's Day, so. Um, <laughs> but when we use words like love in those multiple different ways, does it mean the same thing? I mean, just what is love? If you're old enough to remember, you might recall Tina Turner's song that um, became a number one hit single back in 1984. She made that hit out of saying that love was nothing more than a secondhand emotion. What's love got to do with it? You know, we almost always think about love as a feeling, don't we? And it is a feeling, of course it is. It's a good feeling, it's a great feeling. But it's also so much more than just a feeling. We often think that feelings are uncontrollable, that we have no control over them, that they, in, in fact, control us instead. And so, you know, I might fall in love, but I have no control over it. I just, it's like I fall in love. Just the expression itself makes it sound like we don't have any control. Or conversely, I fall out of love. I just don't love that person anymore. But you know, the Apostle Paul doesn't see love like that at all. For him and for us as followers of, of the writings of Paul and the scriptures, love is a choice. Love is a choice. And in our scripture from Colossians, Paul is talking about the new life um, in Christ like it's, like it's clothing. He writes in verse 9, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. And then in verse 14, he says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. So you see, it's something you decide to do. It's a conscious decision, like deciding what you're going to wear in the morning and put on, or, or putting on a coat when it's so cold outside. It's a commitment to care, and it is absolutely controllable. Who you will love and who you will not love is in your control. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Love is how you treat other people. In 1 John 3, 16 to 18, we're told this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. You see, love is something you do. There's a pretty famous book by an author, Gary Chapman, and the book's entitled The Five love languages maybe you're familiar with it 
You see, Chapman writes about um, his belief that there are five basic ways that we express and receive love from others, and each one of us has a primary uh, love language. One of those is gifts, giving and receiving gifts. Another is spending quality time together. Physical touch is another. Words of affirmation and finally acts of service. My love language is physical touch. I both give and receive love that way. I think that's why I'm a hugger. If you're a hugger, maybe physical touch is your love language too. But my wife Marge's love language is gifts. She both expresses love and feels loved by giving or receiving gifts. And what makes love languages interesting and, and kind of tricky sometimes is that we usually default to our own love language, even when we try and express our love to someone whose love language is different than our own. So a note to all you Valentines out there today, express your love to your Valentine in their love language, not in your love language, and hope they do the same to you. You see, love is a verb. Love is an action. Well, have you ever struggled with knowing that the Bible tells us to love one another? And yet you know darn well that there are some people that you are just never going to have feelings for that are very loving. I mean, how can you make yourself have feelings for people, right? See, again, we get trapped in the idea that love is a feeling and, and that you're never going to have a warm, fuzzy, loving feelings for a lot of people in the world. I mean, face it, we're all like that. There are certain people that we don't like the way they act or the way they smell or the way they dress, how they talk or the way they vote. I mean, some people just rub us the wrong way, if we're honest, right? And most of all, we have a hard time liking people that don't like us but not once does jesus command us to have warm feelings toward everywhere uh, everyone you won't find that in scripture what he says is to love our enemies and so how do we do that how do we love how do we love people who are in need how do we love people who do evil mean things to us how do we love people who disagree with us Paul tells us what it requires. He says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What, you, what do you do with a person then who's an irritant, that person that bugs you, that gets on your nerves, that you're having a hard time getting along with? Well, you treat them with kindness, right? You look for small ways to do good to them. You take the initiative. You offer practical help. You do them a favor. I mean, sometimes love is as simple as controlling our tongue, right? Biting our tongue so we don't say the thing that we want to say, but instead keep it inside to ourselves. We can love people by being concerned about the feelings of other people. We can do that by building others up instead of tearing them down, even if they put us down. One time Jesus was walking through the town of Jericho, and the crowd was so big and, that this little short guy had to climb up in a tree just to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he came through. And this man was hated. Nobody liked him. He was a tax collector, and nobody liked tax collectors. 
so no one would claim him as a friend. But Jesus looked up in that tree and saw him and invited him to come down and said, hey, I'm coming to your house today. Now, the disciples probably thought that was a PR nightmare. Jesus, what are you doing? Nobody likes this guy. It's going to look bad on you if you do that. But Jesus didn't care about those kinds of things. He wasn't intimidated by public opinion. Jesus was only interested in building people up who society had knocked down. And so we're called to do the same, to love the people that God loves. And we discover from Scripture that God has a very special place in his heart for all the misfits and the marginalized people in our world. God calls us to do the same thing. Pay attention to the overlooked and the undervalued of our society. It's part of the mission of the church. You see, when Jesus began his ministry, he stood up in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he announced to the whole world that he had come to proclaim good news to the poor. He followed the model that his heavenly father had set in motion already. He hung out with outcasts. He touched lepers. He rubbed elbows with sinners. He elevated their status and the status of women and children too. Jesus was constantly and consistently reaching out to people who were marginalized or excluded or isolated. And it got him in trouble. And sometimes it caused a scandal. It is a risk, even today, to love everyone. But you see, touching the world with God's love, and by doing that, Jesus stood with people who had little or no standing on their own. And he still does that today, and he calls us to. In Matthew 25, Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats. This parable kind of fast-forwards us to the very end of time when, when Jesus returns in victory. And the, 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 the upshot of this story is this, that whether we like it or not, we are going to be held accountable for the way we respond to the overlooked people in our society. And what's even more remarkable than this is that is what Jesus implies. He suggests that he is so identified intrinsically with marginalized people that when we reach out to them, we reach out to him. And when we don't reach out to them, we're not reaching out to him either. His command is that we love everyone. And my friends, love often or always requires forgiveness, doesn't it? Sometimes lots of forgiveness. In verse 13, Paul said, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And boy, can that be hard, right? That can be really hard. I know how hard it is. I know you do too. I've had people in my life who have hurt me. People who have said unkind things to me, sometimes to my face, sometimes behind my back. I've had people who have betrayed me, people who have lied to me. And if I'm honest, there have been people that I've wanted to hurt in return. 
to lash out at, to get revenge with. But knowing that Jesus would not look kindly at me for doing that, I have prayed that Jesus would help me forgive them. I am so aware of how much that I've been forgiven for in my life, not only by Jesus, but also by the people that I've hurt in return over the years. And because of that, I have to learn to forgive too. And here's something that I've found that works for me. Instead of just praying that I'd be able to forgive, I actually start to pray blessings over people that have hurt me. Or actually do something, one kind thing, say a kind word, do a kind deed to someone. And you know what I found that happens? That always starts to change me. And when I'm changed on the inside, I'm more able to love others and change the world around me. You see, we need to learn how to forgive. It doesn't come easily. It doesn't come naturally. And, but the Bible teaches that the overflow of life with God is love for others and forgiveness. We forgive the sins of others because God has forgiven our sins. Amen? And we need each other to do that. It only happens in community. Today, more and more, I look around and sometimes I see Christians who wander from church to church just looking for that perfect church like they're ever going to find one because it's, they're all made up of imperfect people like you and me. And so people sometimes, they never really put down roots in a church. They never really bother to become a part of the church. And so at the first sign of a disagreement, it's really easy to say bye-bye and off you go. I wish I could say that was rare, but it seems to be coming more and more commonplace in our day and age. People tend to treat church like they treat a lot of other commodities, like, like that, like a consumer. You know, people shop for the church that they want um, to meet their needs at a price they want to pay. So church becomes nothing more than, than like Target or Walmart. But that's not the way God designed the church to work. And so that mentality is never going to work for us. You see, God uses all of us. He uses each other. He uses community to sanctify us. You know, we're meant to be a little bit like sandpaper in each other's lives, rubbing those rough places off of each other. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, and sometimes that's going to hurt a little bit. Sometimes I might be tempted to do the easy thing and just say goodbye. But you know, if I've been in community, if I've learned to trust you, if I've learned to be humble and vulnerable enough to allow you to get to know me and speak into my life, if I'm open enough to allow myself to be held accountable by you for my behavior, guess what happens? Christ begins to be formed inside of me. You see, it's in community that I'm perfected. I can't live a life of solitude um, and be a Christ follower. You see, it's in the process of these faith-based relationships going long-term together that we really begin to make significant difference. Paul sums up the Christian life in Romans chapter 13. 
He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Paul says that if you love other people, you fulfill the law of God. The entire Christian ethic boils down to just that one rule. But here's the thing, following that rule is hard. Love is sometimes the hardest thing to do. In fact, I think apart from the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us, enabling us to, it's impossible to love like God loves. Our only hope of becoming a person of real love is Jesus Christ alive and living inside of each of us. This is what waking up to the gospel is all about. It's becoming fully alive to the power of God in our life each and every single day. Over these six weeks, we've gone through the ten stops on the journey to spiritual maturity. Have you figured out where you are yet? Are you forgiven and active in the life of the church? Have you found you've got a holy discontent? You're just not happy with, you, with where you are anymore. You want to go deeper with God. Do you find yourself broken? Are you surrendered to God completely? Are you finding delight in God? Are you finding deep devotion to other people? And are you ready to move from where you are now to take that next step? You see, the life of following Christ is a journey that never ends in this life. We're always going deeper, wanting to grow closer. And so maybe you still want to learn more about the transformational stops on this journey of, with Christ that we've been talking about. Maybe you've missed a couple of weeks, or maybe um, you just want to know more. We're going to be offering you a chance to do that um, in just a couple of sessions via Zoom. Sharon Gard, our Director of um, Curriculum Development, she's going to take um, a couple of opportunities and, and go over each stop in the first and the second half of the Gospel. She's going to allow time for you to ask questions and answer those questions. Any question you might have, be watching your email this week. Um, the dates and the times are going to be listed for there and how you can sign up for those Zoom sessions. You'll find that information on our website too. At Anderson Hills, we want nothing more than for each and every woman and man and boy and girl to be on a journey of faith together, going deeper into a life with Christ, growing more into the likeness of Christ, each and every day of this earthly life until we're welcomed home. So let's dig in. Let's go deeper. Let's live out the fullness of the second half of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks and praise that you created us 
that you have redeemed us in Jesus Christ and that our life, um, once we've been justified and made right with you, is an ongoing journey of joy and, and going deeper in our relationship with you. God, thank you for calling us out into deeper waters. Help us take those steps um, that we might grow closer to you, um, that we might find our delight in you, and that the love of our neighbor might grow brighter and brighter. God, continue to transform us into the likeness of Christ so that we might transform the world around us into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.